Well, good morning. Good to be with you um, on this Pentecost Sunday. Did you realize that? Yeah? Did you realize Ascension was not that long ago? Um, very important marker in the church calendar. But uh, Jesus' Ascension and uh, Pentecost. Praise God. If you've got a Bible and you'd like to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that would be great. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, I decided it would probably be better for me to work through it rather than to do a long reading, otherwise uh, quite a bit of preaching time will be gone in the process. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you've got a Bible, uh, either on your phone or pad, iPad or whatever it is, or, or a, a physical Bible, um, it would great just be great just to have that open. And can I recommend that you go away and read it as well? Don't just uh, pick up on what I said this morning, but go away and read the passage. It's, it's absolutely loaded. So here we are, 1 Corinthians 15. What have we learned, picked up on so far as we've gone through this book? We've been redeemed and belong to Jesus. That there should be no divisions amongst us. We're a temple. We're God's dwelling place. Hallelujah. Isn't that good? You are God's... Turn to the person next to you and tell them that they're God's dwelling place. Come on, do it with some kind of assurance and affirmation, you know. You are God's dwelling place. Staggering. It always staggers me. We are a body, we are a family, a diverse community of people who belong to one another and are for one another in Christ. Amen? Turn to the person next to you and tell them, I am for you. Oh, that sounded good. Do it again. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm for you. Now turn to the person behind you and tell them you're for them as well. <laughs> wow. That's good. Sounds as if we like one another. Uh, there's a mutuality of life that's dependent, dependent upon the gifting and enabling of the Spirit and not the ways of this world. And everything that we do is done in the love of God, which he pours out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. So, chapter 15 then. And uh, chapter 15 is a massive chapter, as you realize. I mean, all the verses to it, we've got something like 58 verses to it. A massive chapter, which I can only touch on, but it's all about resurrection and the return of Jesus. Uh, not something perhaps we talk about that often, but it's very, very important. And it seems to stand in stark contrast to everything that's gone before it. It seems as though suddenly Paul, as having dealt with all the issues that he has, suddenly jumps into chapter 15 and kind of, where did this come from? And I would suggest to you that maybe it's towards the end of the chapter, but um, it's not entirely off-piste for Paul, because in chapter 1, verse 7, he's spoken about eagerly awaiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. I grew up in the generation which was any moment now. Be on your toes, he could come any moment now. That kind of has passed us by, and I think we're probably, probably a little bit too casual, maybe. And we don't even give it a thought. Then he speaks in chapter 5, verse 5, of the day of the Lord. And in chapter 6, 14, now God has not only raised the Lord, but also will raise us up through his power. Hallelujah. He will. And then in 11.26, in the context of communion, he says we do this until he comes. So he has dropped little bits in along the way, which have suggested that there is something more to come, that this is not all that there is. But I want to suggest that to understand the purpose of the chapter, we really need to 
to read the last verse, which says this, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be firm, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And it may be that there are some here, maybe even many here, who just need to hear that this morning. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be firm, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It seems that there was a measure of discouragement had settled on some of them or even many of them, leading to a questioning perhaps even of their faith and a pulling back from really being committed to the church and truly serving the Lord. And Paul writes to correct them, to comfort them. He writes to lift them and encourage them by reminding them of the truth. Whenever we get into trouble, whenever disappointments and doubts begin to cloud our minds, and let's be honest, they do. doesn't matter how long you've been on the road, they do. Don't be surprised when they come. It's good in those situations to ask ourselves, have we got our doctrine correct? Do we understand the purposes of God in Christ correctly? The old cliche, it doesn't matter what you believe, so long as you are sincere, is a load of rubbish. You can believe anything you like, and it will mess you up, you know? Um, So it's just not true. The best thing is, if it's not working, to stop and check it out. And let me tell you that throughout my Christian life, I have had to do that more than once. I've done that several times. I've been through situations and circumstances which have caused me to to have questions about my faith, about the outworking of my faith. And I've had to go back to the book and to, to wrestle with Scripture again. What does it really say here? Belief, you see, shapes our behavior. What you believe about God today, what you believe about God in Christ and the Holy Spirit today is important. And it's important that we get it right. So if it's not working, what I would say is, Just stop and check it out. Don't just blunder on like you've got a red light on the dashboard. Oh, well, I don't suppose it means much. It's a red light, you know. When you see a red light on your dashboard, as I had recently, one of those warning lights come up, what you have to do is stop and check it out. Sort out the problem. Then you can get back on the road again. Doubts can lead us, actually, to deeper and stronger faith. And it seems that their theology was lacking. In chapter, in chapter 15, verse 12, there we, we read that they don't believe, some of them don't believe in the resurrection. It says here, uh, 12, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how does some of, among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Which seems absolutely staggering in the light of they've heard Paul's gospel, they're, they're, they're a church, and Paul is saying, you, you don't believe in the resurrection? You know, it's that kind of shock horror Uh, What what has happened to them? Perhaps they have bought into the view or carried it over from their old life that the soul was the immortal part of the person and the body was something that was simply disposable and would be cast off. It would be unnecessary. And in the church, there were were those who taught a a radical theology of life in the spirit that denied denied the value or significance of the body. Which it also led to an uh, over-realized, uh, spiritualized eschatology and, and a way of thinking about the end times. In fact, they even looked down on Paul that his theology wasn't up to theirs. It was a false theology of spiritual existence. 
and uh, they, they believe that they were already participating in the new reality, something that was, is always a temptation in spirit movements, and you see it down through history. In fact, when you go back to the time of the Reformation, prior to the Reformation and the medieval, medieval world prior to it, there was a sacred secular divide. But that all changed with the Reformation. Luther spoke of the ordinary activities of daily life in the Christian's return to creation and the embrace of vocation. I think we need to hear that, and maybe there are some that need to hear that today, that the natural world was one that was made by God and is given to us by God. We are made body, soul, and spirit. And that to look for a completely spiritual existence is not what the Bible is about at all. All of life was and is to be lived to the glory of God. The whole of life is spiritual. It's an act of worship. Hence, Paul says elsewhere, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. It's one thing to come in here on a Sunday and, and, and seek to engage and to worship God. It's another thing then to go out on on a Monday, into the ordinary everyday life at the school gates, in the office, wherever it is you may be, whether you're retired, employed, whatever it is, and, and somehow to feel that this is not really where it's at. I want to tell you this morning, it is where it's at. That the whole of life is sacred. It may be that you're going through a time of difficulty. It may be that you're going through a time of suffering. It may be that you're finding, facing some challenges in some various ways. The whole of life is sacred. And we need to be careful that we don't somehow kind of divide it. This is the spiritual bit of me. I come here on Sunday morning and I, I try to get into the spirit and feel the spirit. And then I go out there on Sunday morning, on Monday morning, I'm in this flesh stuff and I'm doing all this kind of practical stuff that doesn't seem really to relate to, to God and to the kingdom and to eternity. Scripture says very clearly that it does. The whole of life is sacred. Maybe for some, they, they just couldn't conceive of their own resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus, yes, but their own, they, they couldn't conceive of it. Perhaps they struggled with the idea of a resurrected body. And who hasn't seen somebody suffer and become emaciated? And, and when they've died, there's almost nothing of them. And then you, you lay them in the grave and in your human mind you're trying to comprehend this fact, this idea, can this person be raised again? And we say, you know, those words, ashes to ashes and dust to dust, and it seems so, so final. The idea of resurrection. Paul began his letter then with a focus on the cross and what it means to be part of the new creation, what it means to be a spiritual person in a natural body as opposed to simply a natural person. And now he's going to take it a step further and show us how we will be further transformed by the resurrection. Wow. Are you looking forward to that day? Mm, maybe. Are you looking forward to that day? Yes. yes. I mean, what a day that is going to be. And so he reminds them here, here in this chapter of the good news. And so in chapter 15, verse 1, we read these words. Now I make known to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel, the good news which I preach to you, which you also received, in which you also stand, by which you're also saved or being saved, if you hold firmly to the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. 
For I handed down to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Phenomenal words, aren't they? How Christ comes in the flesh, how he lives here, how he dies here. He goes down into the death and it was all according to the scriptures. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He went down into death uh, for our sins according to the scriptures. He was raised again. And I, I love the words at the end of uh, Romans chapter 4 verse. Uh, ro- uh, I forget the verse. Right at the end of Romans chapter 4 where it says that he was raised because of our justification. Jesus would not have risen from the dead if he had not been the pure son of God. Jesus would not have risen from the dead if he had not been the pure son of God and taken our sins to himself and paid the price for those sins in full. He could not have been raised. And so when he goes down into death and he ultimately dies and is is there in the grave, dead in the ground, justification takes place there and nowhere else. And that's staggering, isn't it? Because it says he was raised because of our justification. So at the moment he went down into death and death was completed, the price was paid, up from the grave he arose. Hallelujah. Isn't that that staggering? And that's the reassurance that we find when we look at the gospel, when we look at Jesus. Paul talks about, I love the way he talks about the gospel at times, but in 1 Timothy 1 verse 11, a literal translation is this, the gospel of the glory of the happy God. The gospel of the glory of the happy God. The good news of the glory of the happy God. God was happy to do that. He is happy to reconcile us in Christ and make us at one with himself. It says in Hebrews 2 verses 14 and 15, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. Wow, that's staggering. If Jesus had not taken on real flesh, it would not be a real story. There would be no benefit to us, to, to us at all in it. But he took on real flesh, flesh just like yours, just like mine. Tempted in all points as we are. Said yes to the Father every day and every moment of his life and no to the enemy. He then took our sins, bore them on the cross, went down into death, paid the price for their sins. He rises again. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so then he goes on to, to remind them also of the witnesses to this event uh, that... Uh, He appeared to Cephas in verse 5, then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of all the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So he he gathers together all these witnesses and says, look, these different people saw him at different times in different places. And we we could add to that as well, the empty tomb. We could speak of the female witnesses, which were astounding, which when you stop and think about it, the Gospels begin uh, when their, their resurrection story with the witnesses of women who were not looked upon as credible witnesses in those days. Eh? Isn't that staggering? I mean, if... 
No, if you really wanted a story that proved the point in those days, that's not where you would start. But God does. And that's the staggering nature of it. Female witnesses, the change of Sabbath to Sunday as a time of corporate worship, the willingness to die for what they believe, the transformation of so many Christ, uh, faithful Jews to Christ followers. Staggering. And then in verses 12 to 19, he speaks of the futility of believing in Christ and doubting the resurrection. And we're just going to read the last few verses there. In verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if we have hoped in Christ only in this life, we're of all people most to be pitied. True, isn't it? In other words, he's saying, if you don't believe in a resurrection, then Jesus is not alive either. And what we're doing is a waste of time. Benefits nobody. And I love this. In the next verse, he then goes on in verse 20, but the fact is, but the fact is, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep. It's important to hear that because when it says the first fruits, it tells me that there is more to come. He is not the only one. There will be others that follow. And that's another reason why it's important to believe that Jesus was truly a man in the flesh. Because if he was not a man in the flesh in the first place, that wouldn't give me the hope of glory. Because I'd look and I'd just say, he was, a, he, was, he was different to who I am. But he was a man in the flesh. And so the old saints of, of times gone by love the phrase that there is a man in the glory. In other words, a real man, a human man. A person who still embodies flesh just like yours and mine. And that's what gives us the reason for the hope of glory. And then he talks about the how of the resurrection. We haven't got time to read all of those verses, 35 through 57. How this body, when it's suffered, how, it, how whatever it has suffered, however it has died, will be raised to life. A body totally free from sin, energized and empowered by the Holy Spirit, And what about this? Immune to disease, decay, and death. Don't seem to be very excited about that. If you've got some aches and pains at this moment, you know what aches and pains are like, you know? Um, You've heard testimony of what it's like to be sick, suffering, no healing. But one day we will have a body that will be totally immune to disease, to aches and pains, to death. Hallelujah. So the message of the Christian faith is that Christ has come into this world, God in flesh, been tempted in every way as we are, lived a perfect life of obedience to the Father, taken our sin and died for it. The message of the Christian faith is on the third day, Jesus physically rose from the dead, having conquered Satan, sin, death, and hell. That he ascended into heaven in bodily form, where he received from the Father the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that through him now, the forgiveness of sins could and should be proclaimed 
to one and all without exception. Hallelujah. And that there is a heaven to be gained and a hell to be lost. You know, that is so different to the barrenness and bankruptcy of atheistic materialism that believes that this is all that there is. The matter we, the world, are made of. It's all that there is. Unplanned, unpurposed, the product simply of mindless, unintelligent, non-rational forces. That there is nothing transcendent, nothing beyond. And such thinking actually makes us prisoners of the random forces of nature. The planet we live on. And so we look out there at the world about us and we see the panic that the majority of people are in. We see all the efforts towards saving our planet. It's the latest religion. God is on the throne. Amen? He knows the end from the beginning. And yes, we are called to steward the earth and do it in responsible ways. But we don't have to panic. Because we know he is the creator and sustainer of all things and giver of life. You see, all it offers is a doomsday scenario. So Mother Earth becomes the religion of the day. No God, no Savior, no resurrection, no hope. But because of Christ's incarnation, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, we have been saved, and not only saved, but made recipients of his spirit and are participators already in the age which is to come. Hallelujah. You are already participating in that age if you know him. You have a measure, a taste of it right now. And because there is a man in the glory, we have every hope that there is more to come. And because he lives, we can live also. And because there is an eternity to come, that means that everything that we do that is right before God, everything that we do counts. You see, the gospel invests the whole of life with meaning and purpose. Tim Keller, who just recently passed from this life, was promoted to glory, said this. He said, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. You might be here this morning and have never encountered Christ. You've never heard about him. You've never thought about these things. And I want to commend him to you as one who truly did come for you and come for us all. One who gave his life so that we might be made right with God, so that we could be forgiven, so we could be cleaned up, so we could be made whole, so we could serve a greater purpose than ourselves. And I love what N.T. Wright says here as I draw to a close. And and he says this, he says, Every act of love, gratitude and kindness, 
Every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or to walk, every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support for one's fellow human beings and for that matter one's fellow non-human creatures, and every course of prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed which spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world. All of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation when God, which God will one day make. That is the logic of the mission of God. God's recreation of this wonderful world, which has begun with the resurrection of Jesus, continues mysteriously as God's people live in the risen power and in the risen Christ and in the risen power of the and in the power of the Spirit. Means that what we do in Christ and by the Spirit in the present world is not wasted. You might be doing something as we began earlier that whereby you feel discouraged. What what value is, uh, does this have eternally? I think of Henry Newen, who, who gave up a prestigious post in a university and went and worked amongst the needy, gave his life to, to serving people who struggled with life in ways that we cannot imagine. And so when you read those words there at the end of that chapter, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be firm, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Let's stand, shall we? Let me ask you, do you know him this morning? Maybe you've come in here and never encountered him. We're going to say this great confession of the church, the Apostles' Creed. And you can say it with us, and in doing so, you, begin, you can begin to make the first steps of faith. And if that's you, then I'd encourage you to talk to somebody afterwards and, and just help get some understanding about what it is to know Jesus. But this is, yeah, what we believe, isn't it? Let's declare it together, shall we? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from where he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's declare together as we close, shall we? Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Okay, ready? Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again, again. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again, one more time. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. That, brothers and sisters, is our hope.
And that's why all of life is sacred. May God bless you in Jesus' name.